You are listening to a podcast from Vineyard Church of Augusta. For more information, visit vineyardaugusta.org. Good morning, everybody. My name is Roger. You guys good? You warm? You toasty? Yeah? Um, yeah, my name is Roger. I'm the associate pastor here at the Vineyard. If we've never met, I would love, I would love to meet you today after the service. I'm excited to get to preach to you guys today. Um, a couple of years ago, uh, I read a fascinating book called Tribe of Mentors. Anybody read this book? Um, it's by an author named Tim Ferriss. He does a whole bunch of other things. He does a podcast. Um, this book is a Tribe of Mentors. Is, it's a collection of responses to interview questions that Ferris collected over years and years and years of in-person interviews on his podcast, informal conversations, uh, responses cold from people over email, whatever. And, and his interviewees, his mentors, right, this tribe of mentors he assembled, um, they run a wide spectrum. There's like pro athletes and hedge fund managers and writers and graphic designers and CEOs and teachers and actors and bodybuilders and politicians and like the whole gamut of things. Um, well over like, uh, like 125, 130, uh, just really successful, influential, and fascinating people. And his, his premise in putting this book together um, was this, is that often all that stands between you and what you want is a better set of questions. So he came up with 11 questions that he would ask every single one of these individuals. And the questions are sometimes range from feeling like a little bit silly, sometimes they feel like they come out of nowhere, but they're really great. Um, one question was this, that he asked all these people. He said, if you could have one gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, like metaphorically speaking, getting a message out to millions or billions of people, what would that billboard say and why? And there's one response that really, really stuck out to me, and, it, and it's kind of lingered with me long term. Uh, it comes from a woman who I knew nothing about beforehand. Her name is Debbie Millman. Um, she's this wildly successful um, designer. Um, and here's what Debbie said. She said, my billboard would say this, busy is a decision. Busy is a decision. I'm looking at you, Tim. Where are you now? I told Tim I'd look at him. There, I'm looking at you, Tim. We just had a funny conversation before church. Inside jokes, busy is a decision. She goes on to say, here's why. Of the many, many excuses people use to rationalize why they can't do something, the excuse, I'm too busy, is not only the most inauthentic, it's also the laziest. I don't believe in too busy. Like I said, busy is a decision. We do the things we want to do, period. If we say we're too busy, it's shorthand for not important enough. It means you would rather be doing something else that you consider more important. If we use busy as an excuse for not doing something, what, what we're really, really saying is that it's not a priority. Simply put, you don't find the time to do something, you make time to do things. We are now living in a society that sees busy as a badge. It has become cultural cachet to use the excuse, I am too busy, as a reason for not doing anything that we don't feel like doing. The problem is this. If you let yourself off the hook for not doing something for any reason, you won't ever do it. If you want to do something, you can't let busy stand in the way, even if you are busy. Make the time to do the things you want to do and then do them. Uh, in this series, Entrusted, we're considering all manner of resources 
that God has provided for us, that, that he's entrusted to us. And we're asking how we might make better use of them. How can we be better stewards of the, of the finances that God has given us? How can we be better stewards of the relationships that God has given us? How can we be better stewards of the bodies God has given us? How can we be better stewards today of the time that God has given us? And that's simply what we're talking about today is time. Now, if, if I could just pause here and, and make a big assumption, and you know what happens when we assume. But if, if I was gonna make a bet on what some of you are thinking, it's this, um, especially after that quote, right? You're thinking something like, that sounds great, Roger, right? Choosing not to be busy and all of that, that, that sounds nice, but you don't know how crazy my life is. You don't know all the demands on my time. You don't know all the re- responsibilities I carry. You don't know how not within my control my life is. Maybe you're thinking something like this. Time is short, life is hard, and I, just, I don't know how to do it any better than I already am. Does anybody feel like that? If you feel like that, I'm here with some good news today. First of all, this is like the sub, sub good news. I'm with you. I get it. Time is short. Life is hard. And even me, I I most of the time don't know how to do it any better than I'm already doing it. But further good news is is that I know a psalmist who would also very much agree with you. So we're going to read this morning in Psalm 90. If you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and jump there, um, or you can read along on the screen as well. And before we read this, though, why don't we pray? We're going to ask God to open up the eyes of our hearts that we can hear him, whatever his spirit has to say to us today through the scriptures. God, we humble ourselves before you. God of all time, we submit ourselves to you. And we pray right now in, the, in these brief moments, would you just open up our eyes, would you open up our ears that we might perceive something different? That we can perceive our lives differently than we walked in here perceiving them as? God, we trust in your goodness. We trust in your kindness and your care and your compassion for us. And we are grateful for the time you've entrusted us with. So this morning, come and speak to us and all the ways that we feel like time is short and life is hard and we don't know how to do it better, would you just meet us very honestly and authentically in that place today? Pray, Lord, that your voice would speak loudly, speak more loudly than my own voice today. Amen. So here's Psalm 90. This is the, this is the New Living Translation, for those of you nerds that care. Um, I care. In my house, nerd is like a compliment. It's Okay. I'm not insulting anybody. I just think it comes alive in some fun ways. The psalmist writes this, Lord, through all the generations, you have been our home. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from beginning to end, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. For you, a thousand years are as a passing day, as brief as a few night hours. You sweep people away like dreams that disappear. They're like grass that springs up in the morning. In the morning it blooms and flourishes, but by evening it is dry and withered. We wither beneath your anger. We are overwhelmed by your fury. You spread out our sins before you, our secret sins, and you see them all. 
We live our lives beneath your wrath, ending our years with a groan. Seventy years are given to us. Some even live to 80, but even the best years are filled with pain and trouble. Soon they disappear and we fly away. Who can comprehend the power of your anger? Your wrath is as awesome as the fear you deserve. Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. O oh Lord, come back to us. How long will you delay? Take pity on your servants. Satisfy us each morning with your unfailing love so that we may sing for joy to the end of our lives. Give us gladness in proportion to our former misery. Replace the evil years with good. Let us, your servants, see you work again. Let our children see your glory. And may the Lord our God show us his approval and make our efforts successful. Yes, make our efforts successful. Now, through, through poetry, we are invited in this moment to wrestle with these challenging things that time is short, that life is hard, and we often don't know how to do it better than we already are. And the question that the psalmist is getting at here is, is, well, then if all of that is kind of true, if that is just naming the human existence, which the psalms do quite often, they invite us into this place where we deal with those difficult realities, then how do we live such a fleeting but challenging existence? What hope is there? And the answer, in a word, is wisdom. The answer is wisdom. Um, I, I, lo I love the quote. I tried to trace down where I got this from. I didn't make it up. But my favorite definition of wisdom is that wisdom is the art of living well. Wisdom is the art of living well. And that what it looks like to live your life well is different than what it looks like to live my life well is what looks different than living someone else's life well. And it's an art. It's not a science. If you're coming to the Bible hoping for some kind of formula that's just gonna make it all work, you're looking at the wrong book right? It's an art. But we can ask God for wisdom and we can grow in wisdom to learn how to live this short, difficult life well. And what I want to say, kind of like the big picture this morning, is that living within the limits of time, since we're talking about time, living within the limits of time requires ever-evolving wisdom. Daily. It's constantly growing. We are constantly learning. We're constantly shifting our perspectives and what we see and making decisions based on different criteria or new information. Living within the limits of time requires ever-evolving wisdom. Now, I just want to share with you guys four quick thoughts on, on wisdom that, that I think pertains to this. And I'm putting all these in terms of like as if wisdom is a person. If you read Proverbs, oftentimes wisdom is personified, right? So we're kind of doing it this way. And the first thing I want to point out is that wisdom, in relation to time, wisdom does accurate math. Wisdom does accurate math. As, as another one of Tim Ferriss's interviews, interviewees in the book, Tribe of Mentors said, uh, they said, you have a lot less time than you think, and you're not spending your time the way you think you are, <laughs> which means we got to do some math. Now, I know for myself, if I had to give 
an off-the-cuff accounting for all of my time, I would probably just be guessing. And I'd probably be thinking I'm spending a lot of my time doing certain things that I'm only spending minimal time on. Things that I think I spend minimal amounts of time on, I'm probably spending exorbitant amounts of time on. So we gotta do, we gotta do the math. And, and time, as I've heard it said, time is the great equalizer. So, some of us have more money than others. Some of us have, have more privileges or advantages than others. Some of us may have better education than others. Some may be smarter or more talented or better looking or more charismatic or more lucky than others. But we all get the same exact amount of time in any given day, in any given week. Again, as the psalmist said, some people get 70 years, some even get 80, so I'm not talking about the full span of time, right? But so far today, on January 15th, 2023, we have all had the exact same number of minutes to do something with. We've all had the exact same number of seconds and nanoseconds and whatever, right? We, we are all now about 10 hours and 25 minutes older than we were yesterday. It's all the same. Every human being has the exact same number of hours in a week, which is 168 hours. And now maybe you've heard of this before, maybe you haven't, but it's, it's common, you can Google it. Uh, what, what business people, it seems like it's a lot in business world, call the rule of 168. Has anybody ever heard this before? The rule of 168. All this is saying is that every single person has 168 hours during the week, and the difference is just between one person and another is just simply how we choose to use those, how wisely and intentionally we steward those hours that God has given us. Oops, I somehow skipped all the way to the end. There we go. Last week, last week Reese was having trouble with his iPad. I'm having it with my laptop. There we go. The rule of 168. So here's a little math. Can we do a little math here right now? Does anybody like math? I hate it, um, but I'm going to try to do it out loud. I'm going to try to do it out loud. I'm going to do some kind of math wrong, but that's okay. There's forgiveness and grace. So, so just a little math as a generic example. Think about your own life as this pertains, right? So you're starting off with 168 hours in a week. First, let's subtract sleep because you need to sleep. The, the average American gets somewhere between six to eight hours a night. I know some of you get a lot more. Some of you get a whole lot less. I'll pray for you. Um, we'll just average that to seven. So let's pretend you get seven hours average a night. That's minus 49 hours already in the week, and you're down to 119 waking hours to use, all right? Um, then, then let's talk about work, right? And let's say you just work a standard 40 hours a week. I know some of you don't work that much, and you wish that you did. I know some of you work a whole lot more than that, and you, and you shouldn't, right? So 40 hours a week. Um, you're, if you take away those 40 hours, you're now down to 79 free hours left, which is roughly 11 hours a day. When you think about it that way, it's like, oh, okay. Are you feeling hopeful? I mean, like 11 hours a day. 11 hours a day, that's pretty surprising to me. Um, but then you, you have all these other things that grow, get rolled into that. Uh, you've got commuting. So if you just have to drive back and forth between those things, that's taking time. Um, you've got grocery shopping, meal prep, time with your family, laundry and other household chores, yard work, watching TV. The average American watches two to four hours a day. Do the math on that. Um, scrolling through social media or surfing the internet, a hobby, 
hopefully something more active and life-giving than social media and surfing the internet. Um, reading, spending time with friends and family. Maybe you're in a position in life where you have children at home that you're caring for. Maybe some of you guys have like parents or other aging relatives that you're caring for, right? Um, you've got your cars to upkeep, right? You've got bills to pay. You've got all these things. Like, is anybody else's pulse like quickening right now or is it just me, right? <laughs> Like our BPMs just all raise like to dangerous levels. We should start feeling that a little bit, I think. And if you really sit down and do the math of your own life, it really quickly becomes like, oh, wow, right? How, how am I fitting all this in? And the answer is probably like I'm not or not very well. Now, in addition to those things, right, that like normal people do, right? Like everybody, if they're like a functioning adult, does most of those things. Um, but additionally, if you aim to be more than a nominal Christian, meaning like just a Christian in name, if you really aim to like take discipleship to Jesus seriously, um, then you're also doing things like prayer and scripture reading. You got to stick that in the list. Um, Sunday worship. You're here today. You made that decision. If you're online, you're with us. Um, maybe a small group during the week. Now, here's just a little math. If you'd spend just 15 minutes a day in prayer and scripture reading, if you attend church every Sunday and attend a small group, and including drive times, I'm including drive times in these things, guessing about how far some of you guys live. 15 minutes a day in prayer and scripture, church Sunday, small group during the week, it's about five and a half hours a week, which comes out to 3.3% of your time. So just weigh that, weigh that. That means something, right? Maybe, maybe that cost feels really high to you, Maybe suddenly that number feels a lot lower than you expected it to be five and a half hours a week. But here's the point. Each of our lives is different, right? And they change all the time. But on average, even, our lives are extremely different. But quite quickly, we can see how busy things can get. This is why so many of us in the beginning felt like, Roger, you don't understand my life. It's not my own, right? There's very real responsibilities that I have to attend to, and this is true. But we see how busy things can get, but it's still honestly true that in a lot of ways, it's how busy we choose to get. It's how busy we choose to be. So we gotta do the math. Wisdom does the math. Before we can make any meaningful changes, if there need to be some, or before we can make any meaningful decisions about, a stu about stewarding our time more wisely, We've just got to do the math, right? Even if it's really rough, bad math like I just did. Still better than nothing. So the second thing, so wisdom does accurate math. The second thing wisdom does is wisdom honors limits. Wisdom honors limits. Um, can, I, can I just tell you guys something really honest? There is no such thing as giving it 110%. Anyone who tells you to give it 110% is abusing you in some way. And that's a strong word, but they're trying to get some kind of value out of you that you cannot humanly give. Now, if you're like me, the person who's telling you to give 110% is your own stupid self, right? I am the most demanding person on me in my life, right? My wife, my kids, my boss, they're all very reasonable for the most part, you know? I am the problem. Giving 110% is not humanly possible. 
Now, and we're just talking about time here, right? You only get 100% of those 168 hours a week. You don't get to add more. You don't get to add 10% on top of that because you're, you're so special. Pretending to be superhuman is unwise. It's what you call hubris, prideful arrogance that you will pay for, right? You will pay for it in your body. You'll pay for it in your mental health. You'll pay for it in your relationships. Somewhere, someday, it will catch up with you and you will have some serious regrets. Now, part of what the psalmist is acknowledging in Psalm 90, and again, there's a bit of lament, there's a bit of complaint, right? The psalmist, I think the tone of it through this poetry, it doesn't come across like all happy-go-lucky. What the psalmist is acknowledging is that to be human is to be limited. That's what it means. Which, in Psalm 90, is juxtaposed against God. To be God is unlimited. Do you notice how the psalm started? Right? From the beginning of time, you existed. All throughout time, you still exist. To be God is to be unlimited. To be human is to be limited. And you and I are not gods, no matter what our egos tell us. So, so we have a choice. We have a simple choice here when we're faced with these limits. We, we can either resent our limits or we can accept them. We can either fight against our limits or we can, we can work with them. We can either see our limits as handicaps or we can accept them as gifts from God. We can either hate our limits like enemies or we can learn to love our limits like dear friends. It's not a bad thing that you are limited. Somewhere even in that, is God's gift to you to live well. So wisdom does accurate math, wisdom honors limits, and wisdom says no in order to say yes. Wisdom says no in order to say yes. And now here's something, if I'm honest with you, I started learning this a handful of years ago, very imperfectly, I am still very much learning this. I'm very much learning how does this actually work in like everyday life. But it's simply that, that every time I want to say yes to a thing, that I, I must say no to something else. In saying yes to something, I'm already saying no to something else or someone else, right? I, I said yes to, to lunch today with Anthony Martini. Where are you at, Anthony? So we can do like a trail guy meeting, which meant that I said no to having lunch with all the rest of you. <laughs> Too bad, so sad, <laughs> right? And we don't always think about it that way, but that's what happens, right? The trick is, is that are we making those no's consciously or not, right? Have you ever made lunch plans for someone and then suddenly realized you didn't make a plan for your children during that lunch? That may or may not have happened to me in this situation. <laughs> Anthony came through for me, thank you. Um, every, every yes means there is a no. Now, and preferably, it's something comparable in amount of time that's required, right? But, but we say yes for a lot of reasons, and we, we resist saying no for a lot of reasons. 
And they're not always very healthy, right? You weigh that for yourself. Sometimes we say yes out of guilt or obligation. Not why I said yes to lunch with you, right? We're good. Um, Sometimes we say yes because it's something we're really passionate about and something we're excited to do. Sometimes we, re- we resist saying no because we don't want to hurt someone's feelings, right? Sometimes we say no because we feel guilty if we, if we didn't do something for someone. But we have to weigh those things. Um, here's a great, great quote from Bruce Lee. You didn't think you were getting a quote from Bruce Lee today, but you are. Martial arts expert. All right. One does not accumulate but eliminate. It is not daily increase, but daily decrease. The height of cultivation always runs to simplicity. Take a screenshot of that and like just ponder it for a while, right? One does not accumulate, but eliminate. It is not daily increase, but daily decrease. The height of cultivation always runs to simplicity. Because the truth is, my, my life is already too full to simply add something else to it, which is the way most of us live. We just keep adding, 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 and then wonder why our, our blood pressure rose when we started doing the math, right? It's because we added, but we never subtracted. The trick to real joy and freedom I'm finding, again, little by little, I'm finding this, The real trick to joy and freedom is addition, is not just addition, but it's subtraction. My life and my calendar are already overly complex, and what I need is more simplicity. Daily, as Bruce says, right? Now, admittedly, all that is an uphill battle. Everything in the world around you and me, and quite often the world within our own selves, is hell-bent on making us overly busy. And so it may very well be an uphill battle. It's one I think is worth fighting for. And it's one, as we'll see, that this psalmist prays for for deliverance from. There's something of the gospel in there that Jesus didn't just come to set us free from some kind of fiery hell after he died, but he came to set us free from the busy hell that we're living in right now. If Jesus is not able to save you from the busy hell that you're living in right now, then you're, you're after the wrong Jesus. This is the Jesus who said, Come and follow me, take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy, my burden is light, right? There's some gospel in there, guys, even though we're in Psalm 90. So fourth and final thing, wisdom moves at appropriate speeds. Wisdom moves at appropriate speeds. Um, I, had, I had this, this, so this is not about how we use time. It has a little bit more to do with our experience of time. You, you, you ever have those hours that suddenly just seem to like fly by, Right? and you're having fun with something, or you're really engaged and focused, and you're being really productive, and you're getting things done, and then, oh, the hour's gone, and you're like, wow, where did that go? And then you have those other hours that are just like, because you're waiting in the ER or something, right? And an hour feels like six hours. Or the DMV does those things. Um, this, is, this has to do a little bit more with that experience. And I'm sure there's some like quantum physics involved with this or something. I don't know. I'm just talking about what it feels like. Um, so um, a number of years ago, our church in North Carolina gave Angela and I a sabbatical. Biggest gift anyone's ever given us, I think. Most impactful, life-transforming gift that anyone has ever given us. And what that looked like for us as full-time pastors is, is that meant five weeks, which was not even really sufficient. In hindsight, I wish I had said yes to more. 
but five weeks of just being completely unplugged, completely off the grid, zero responsibilities. Nobody texted me for anything or emailed me for anything. I didn't have to preach anything or lead a small group or, or prep anything or clean anything up in the, in the building, like nothing. It was just nothing. And so there was a lot of sleep and there was a lot of guitar playing and there was a lot more sleep in the afternoon and there were like slow, leisurely meals with my family and a couple little trips sprinkled in there and, you know, got an extra spiritual director just for kicks. And like, it was fun, right? But after these five weeks, after these five weeks, I just had the most tremendous experience. And, and it really is, you know, those like just kind of warm, fuzzy God moments where you feel like you're transported somewhere else, right? In some powerful prayer time or something. That's the best thing I can explain it to, except it was my normal life like all day, every day. And this lingered for quite some time, where what it was, I would be suddenly back in my normal life, right? Went back to work, taking the kids to school, you know, all the things, right? Things picked back up. But what I felt like all of a sudden was that whatever interaction I was in, whatever moment I was in, whatever task I was, was at, it was like I saw like a speed limit sign right there. And sometimes this speed limit sign was like 65 miles an hour, right? Just get it done. There's no point in wasting time, right? There's no, there's no reason to fly through all these emails and be super like slow and meditative about it, you know? Just like reply to people, tell them what's going on, right? Like just boom, getting them done. But then sometimes it was like, oh, no, 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 no wait, like you're kind of, you're, you're not on, you're not on I-20 anymore and it's, it's 55, well, ease up, Roger, right? Take your foot off the gas a little bit. Then it was like, okay, you're, you're in the city limits, and at least where we lived at the time in Chapel Hill, like in the city limits was a 35 mile per hour like speed limit. Like that was the max anywhere in town. So it was like, oh, slow down. 35, which 35 is almost half of 65. It's not exact, I know, but like, oh, whatever I'm doing right now and whoever I'm with right now, I should be half as fast as I was in that last thing I did. You know, or it's like you're going through a school zone, right? Now, the reason speed limit signs exist and the reason they get slower and slower is because they know that the faster you go, the more damage you can do. And this is exactly true of our lives. If you run everything in your life at 65 miles an hour, there will be casualties. And it was this tremendous experience. All I can say is, is for like a few months, it felt like after this, almost everything I did and it was the Holy Spirit was just this sense of slow down, speed up, slow down, speed up, slow way, way down, right? Okay, pedal, go. Now, eventually that waned. And over time, this has become more automa uh, less automatic and more of a conscious choice, but it's just as powerful for me. But I think there's wisdom in that. Like I have this time, but how fast am I meant to go through this time? Now, let me encourage you guys to just sit with this for a moment. And I'm gonna lead us through just a short, brief prayer exercise. So close your eyes. If it's helpful to close your eyes, you can. You can open them if you want to. There'll be questions up on the board. Not just yet, Sam. My instructions were not 100% clear. You're good. You're good. There's an exercise, then a prayer. It's a good seat. So close your eyes and just imagine for a moment, here we are, we're entering into this third week of 2023. And if you're like me, it's felt like two months already, but here we go. And just tune yourself into the presence of God with you. He's here. 
Holy Spirit, rest on us. And I'm just gonna ask you to name a couple of things. No judgment. There's nothing to fix. There's not anything to do right now. We're just gonna name a couple of things. And the first is, how full has your time been? Just over these first couple weeks of the year. How full has your time been? Has it felt like 80% full? Has it felt 90% full? Has it felt 100% full? Like there's just no margin anywhere at any time of day. Just name that. Whatever number kind of comes to you, just hold that. Just like, Lord, here it is. Second question, on average, how fast has your life been moving? How fast has your life been moving? Right, on average, right? Have you been running these last two weeks? Has everything been at 65 miles an hour? Has it been like 45? Maybe, maybe you're blessed and it's been really leisurely and you've been doing like 35. Just name it. And we're not judging it. There's no guilt. There's nothing to do. It's just, God, here's how fast I feel like I've been going. And these last two kind of run together. First, what, what is the last thing that you committed to? What's the last thing that you said yes to? Um, and it could be a one-off event. It could just be saying yes to come over and help someone with a, a home project. It could be yes to catching up with an old friend. Maybe, maybe you said yes to a small group. Maybe you committed to join a small group and that's like a weekly thing coming up now for the next few months. What's that, what's that thing you made? Maybe it's small, maybe it's big. And a second question related to that, is there something else that you might consider saying no to in order to have real capacity for that commitment? Maybe you kind of already know the answer to that. Maybe, maybe you know, I said yes to this small group and that means that I'm, I'm saying no to TV time on Wednesday night or whatever. But maybe there's something worth naming right now that you say no to. Living within the limits of time requires ever-evolving wisdom. And thankfully, this is what James says in chapter one. In light of this short time, hard life that we don't always know what to do, James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Why don't you stand with me? And we're just going to pray and ask God for wisdom. Lord, right now, we pause and we acknowledge along with the psalmist that, that our time is short. And we're not guaranteed how long our life is even going to be. But here we are today with these hours, with these minutes that you have given us. And so before you, Almighty God, who is not bound by time, we ask you for wisdom. 
because we don't always know how to do it any better. But we trust that you, who exists outside of all time, knows. And so right now, just in the quietness of your heart, whatever thing you can name that you can ask God for wisdom for, just ask him right now. God, give me wisdom to know how to do this relationship differently. Give me wisdom in these work decisions that need to be made. Give me wisdom in how I relate to my family. Give me wisdom to know what things in my life I might need to say no to so that I can say yes to great things. Thank you, God, that you are good, you are a gracious Father, and that when we ask you for wisdom, you will give generously to all without finding fault. Thank you, God. We bless you. Amen.